Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Hello, friends. Despacito. Where's my brother Chester when you need him? Is that is it? Hi, everybody. Jack's here with you. Yeah, and a disgusted Allison. Well, why are you disgusted? I'm singing Despacito because our interview for this week's show, Welcome to Script Shop, everybody, is a script called Incendio. Why don't you just sing? Standing outside the fire. Na, 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 na. Standing outside the fire. I could. Life is not. Tried it is merely survived. If Dude, you're, you're standing Frank's freaking out right now. The fire. You're, we're we're violating copyright oh, laws like crazy. <laughs> deep in my soul. See, I chose constantly. I love Garth Brooks so do. much. See, I chose to go the I chose to go the Spanish language route as opposed to the fire route. So either way, those would have been good options. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to Script Shop. Our uh, script for this week's show. Uh, in case you didn't know that, you just clicked on this to say, "Oh, I wonder what this is about." It's a script called Incendio by Neil Dua. <laughs> That was the sound yes. of everything going up in flames. Indeed. And things are uh, intensely fired up in this script that we have for That's this week's right. show. That's right. It is indeed. Um, Incendio. Incendio is a 10-page illusionist journey fueled by sadness and loss. Yes. Yeah. One and of my drive. favorite. Yes. Oh, drive is a good one in it, too. Yeah. Uh, this is one of my favorite log lines that I've put together for this script. I don't know if it's a true log line, but a descriptor. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the word illusionist, I looked up illusion. Okay. Can be misinterpreted or okay. uh, mistaken. And our main character is a bit of an illusionist, I think, within her own head. I think you're right. But we'll have to get into that with she's, you. She's dealing with a lot. Hi, everybody. This is our script where we talk to screenwriters about the, the, the screenplays and the scripts that they've written. And why they're the only person that could have ever written this screenplay and what it means to them and maybe what they're going to do with it, too. Who the heck knows? And sometimes we get uh, scripts that have already been produced or in the process of being produced, and that happens to be uh, what we're working with this time, right? That's this right. is they did they're they're just now getting into post. That's well, I don't know if it's just, but they're definitely in post. It awesome. seems so. We'll get to talk to Neil about that. Um, if you are a fan of Script Shop, and why wouldn't you be? <laughs> obviously, you can connect with us further online by. Finding us, friending us, and following us at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On Twitter, I am at your bestie Westy, and I'm at Script Shop Jack. Frank, you're not on Twitter yet, are you? Oh shoot, I'm sorry, Frank. I'm not used to. <laughs> yes. Good news, everybody. Frank's here with us in the studio. Yes. So we have to get uh, used to turning his mic back on. I know. Mm-hmm. Frank, are you on Twitter yet? I am not on Twitter. I was very happy to be here until I didn't have a mic. <laughs> <laughs> you blow it. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, Frank. I apologize. I'm not. You. I'm, I'm glad you're here. This is a nice change of pace. We'll, we'll try it again in a few months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. uh, in addition to being on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, we are also on Patreon. If you are looking to maybe uh, support the show in a financial way, that would be incredible. We would appreciate that greatly. If you look up Script Shop Show on Patreon.com, uh, you could throw some extra reenies and Rooney's our way. Rink, rink. That's the sound of Reenies and Rooney's going into some sort of cup that you're donating to. Yes. Alms. 
ums, ums for the podcasters. That's perfect. <laughs> ums. Yes. And finally, if you have a story yes. that you are telling. And everybody does. Everybody does. That's that's literally why we can release weekly is because everybody's yep. got a story. And you somehow have manifested it into a screenplay mm-hmm. where you know somebody who somehow. has a really cool story and they have somehow using the magic of if, the English language. If you have prayed to the Dark Lord <laughs> and somehow conjured a screenplay, we need to be in contact with you. Yeah. Submit that on filmfreeway.com or by going to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. How's the new year going for everybody so far? How's mine? Um, well, I don't have a baby yet, a new baby yet, so, you know. This is going to be weird because we taped the show ahead of time. I know. This, this could be really, really awkward. So, actually, listeners, it is 12, 15? Yeah. 15, this, December 15th. We're so doing this a month out. I'm taking a wild guess <laughs> that I don't have a new child. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know what? I hope I'm wrong. I hope that the new year rolls around and I have a baby in my arms earlier. I hope, sooner rather than later. I hope so too. Frank, how's, how's 2020 tweeting, treating you so far? It uh, looks, looks pretty good so far. Yeah, you feel good about it? <laughs> yeah. How's your new baby? Anything could happen in the new year. You know, I usually get another one for Christmas. I go to Christmas <laughs> He's waiting for the new model. Baby X is going to be showing up. What about up. your new baby, Jack? I don't know, but that's not a thing. Goo goo daddy. <laughs> we should probably get Neil on the phone. Uh, let's, let, let, me, let me do this on, on the soundboard here and turn up Neil. Neil Dua, how you doing? Hi, guys. How's it all going? It's good. How's your new year shaping up? The new year is shaping up good. I like the symmetry of 2020. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And very excited for the new year. It's uh, I have a good feeling about it. How sick are you of hindsight 2020 jokes uh, now that we're two weeks in? You're sick of them, right? <laughs> Probably, although I, I am a fan of dad jokes. So, okay. Are you a dad? Um, I am not a dad. That's why he's a fan of the jokes. <laughs> if, you're an, if you're an actual dad, you're not allowed to actually like the jokes. You just do them like it's an obligation. It but just you can, happens to you. You can actively like them as a thing if you're not a dad yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Neil, where are you uh, speaking to us from? Uh, so I'm speaking to you from Los Angeles, California. Awesome. Uh, yeah. How, how long you been out there? I've been out here now for about six years or seven years maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah i went to usc out here so i guess that's four years there and then it's been about two and a half years out of college now mm-hmm. um yeah so kind of just been it's funny the city is like somewhere where you can just constantly learn new things and like learn new things about the city itself uh there's so much history to it um but yeah so that's kind of where i'm at right now have you learned any like favorite things about la stuff you didn't know before um, so I don't know if it's like my favorite thing, but I, I am really, uh, interested by just like, you know, the ups and downs that cities go through. And like, I learned about the 90, 1992 1992 riots mm. that happened and just, you know, hearing about that, I actually worked with two filmmakers, um, that made a doc called LA 92 and it was fascinating because hmm. they basically took all this archival footage. Uh, cause you know, as you know, it was like the boom where, Video cameras were much more accessible for people now, and they collected all this archival footage and then edited it into such a compelling film that really poses a lot of interesting questions. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, so, I mean, you as a filmmaker, the idea of doing a documentary not about like a thing that's in the process of happening or something contemporary, doing like a historical documentary, that's sort of a different – I would think that's sort of a different way of going about it, right? 
Yeah, and this was uh, two filmmakers, uh, Daniel Lindsay and T.J. Martin. Definitely give the the film uh, a look because it feels like a narrative piece. I think that's the best documentary making where it almost feels like a narrative film. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't follow the normal construct of like, you know, footage A is just interviewing a person, and then right. you have B roll footage of cinematic uh, landscapes or whatever. Um, Boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do hate in documentaries whenever they're like there's somebody talking and then it just cuts to a landscape that okay. that's their B-roll yeah. stuff is just like you know, establishing shots are important and locations are important, but they'll a lot of times just throw stuff in there. And I'm like, ah, oh, could you not have come up with anything else? Yeah. I mean, they got to really? give you something to look at, but yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah. It's boring. Yeah. Neil, Neil, are you a, are you a documentarian at all? Or do you stick with a uh, traditional narrative uh, script format type stuff? Honestly, I, I'm like, pretty open to everything but i do tend to in terms of creating stuff i do tend to lean towards narrative work mm-hmm. um and you know screenwriting is such a process to learn so i feel like i'm still we're always learning right and i i feel like i'm still uh in that process and with every screenplay i learned so much and then just seeing the difference you know I, i'm sure you know the saying where it's like the film you write is always different than the film you shoot, which is always different than the film you edit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that feels so uh, correct and so honest because, you know, as we'll talk about with like Incendio, this, the what came with that process. I'm sorry if you're hearing a car. I'm near a highway. <laughs> well, yeah, you're in L.A. Everywhere is kind of near a highway, right? <laughs> Honestly, yeah. And then there's just, you know, cities dispersed around. But. Uh, it's really cool seeing how the film changes and like, I'm excited to talk about it because uh, I basically did a lot of rewriting during the post-production aspect of this film, which is an interesting process. That is interesting. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's definitely like always a a journey to find your process and each project is so different in itself. When did you start writing? So I wrote, I actually wrote a short story prior to writing this screenplay. Uh, So I started in January of 2017. Mm -hmm. And it took me like maybe two weeks to write the short story. And then I wanted to adapt the short story into a a short film. Um, And the, the short itself took a long time it took me about four months to write um and like rewrite and rewrite and rewrite uh yeah so it was about a five to six month process and this wasn't the first screenplay that you've written before was it this is actually the second okay uh so i, I wrote one other short uh while in college it was my senior year and i took a screenwriting class and i fell in love with it and ever since then i've just been writing uh kind of like as my, you know, passion and side hustle towards, you know, stepping towards filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And what did you end up um, studying in school? I was actually a finance major. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, cool. Yeah. So I, I, I majored in finance and definitely not my strong suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, since my parents were like, you know, we're helping you out. So we want to have you leaving college with a, a degree that can help you. Uh, land a realistic job was kind of their mindset. And, you know, for me that it was really appreciative that like, I was really appreciative that they would even help me pay for college. So uh, we made like 
uh, compromise, I guess. And I kind of just hustled on the side for film. And I worked for a couple producers and filmmakers during college that I really admired. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's been a journey. So you, it's still going. You went to school for finance and then you randomly took this screenwriting course and that's what puts you on the path that you're on now. Is that right? Well, I, I minored in film okay. starting okay. my sophomore year and I always like kind of growing up, I, I fell in love with film and TV when I was in my early, uh, when I was like 13 years old, I actually had like an operation that had me bedridden. I had an acoustic normal brain tumor oh. and it had me bedridden for about five months. And it was a time where basically all I could do was watch movies and watch TV shows. Yeah. And during this time, I really kind of dove into it. And then I became very passionate about it because it provided such an escapism for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, you know, I don't know. It's just storytelling is so amazing. It really feels like. I always tell people as a joke, like I'm an en- like when I'm writing, I-, I would like to think like I'm an engineer of human emotions. Because if you like get it right and you can really, um, you know, speak to the masses, even if it's like you know, uh, some people would argue what's art versus entertainment. And I, even though I tend to like indie house type movies and stuff like that, I still do value uh, larger scale, bigger budget films because they can speak to so many people. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you doing for your day but, job now in yeah. L.A.? So right now uh, I work at a production management company called Anonymous Content. Right, and they, um, they're actually responsible for a lot of really incredible movies and shows. I know The Revenant yeah. is part of that, oh, The wow. OA, um, Mr. Robot, 13 Reasons Why, tons and tons and tons of really great stuff. Yeah, and it's it's a really really unique company. Um, so I work as an executive assistant there, um, and most most people at the company that are executive assistants are like in their twenties, and they're all kind of working co- towards different but similar goals. Um, so I, I, out of college, I actually worked at the Gersh Agency for six months in the mailroom, um, and that was a great experience because you know it was a t- it was tough at times because I knew I did not want to be an agent, which are uh, people that represent writers and directors and actors. And, what, what is it about that uh, job you, that you knew you didn't want? I knew that I did not want to represent people. talent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that I wanted to be talent, okay. but it's good to kind of learn how the industry works. And an agency is a great place to, uh, to start if you're trying to just like learn the lay of the land. Uh, Cause you kind of get to see the cash flow of the industry and, and, um, just kind of like how the sausage is made, as Steve would say. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once I did that, I kind of was constantly harassing Anonymous <laughs> for interviews. Ever since I was actually in college, I was looking for like an internship there. And eventually through uh, – I worked for a producer named Jamie Patrickoff in college. And he was a producer that like his films really spoke to me. Some of them are Place Beyond the Pines, mm-hmm. uh, Blue Valentine. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of Ryan Gosling movies, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, through his assistant, I got a coffee with an, another assistant at Anonymous, and she put me up to be Steve Boland's second assistant because uh, the volume was really high, so he has two. Um, and that was such a surreal thing for me because I remember distinctly, like, post-surgery, I would always look up, like, you know, who was involved with what films and – Steve Boland was constantly a name that came up for me. Mm-hmm. And so to eventually interview with him and work for him uh, was 
like one of the greatest honors of my life. No kidding. Um, yeah. And you know, he just, he was what I've, you know, in my short time in the, in the industry, what I've learned is like, it is really rare to have a, a person who really fights for the artist's vision, mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of the vision. And he was one of those rare executives that does or did that. So he actually, he was battling, uh, a really rare form of cancer for about, I think, 17 years, give or take. Um, And so we lost him to that battle actually in this year. So after a year on the desk, he uh, passed away. And um, during the transition period, I then became the second assistant to uh, the person that we brought in, David Levine, uh, who kind of now runs like everything television and pretty much serves as like a chief creative officer for the company. Uh, and he is also another amazing individual who has taught me so much. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of my day job and I'm actually going to begin a transition now where, you know, I've done that for two years and I'm going to step out of that world to commit more time to writing and directing projects. Like Um, writing and and directing, writing and directing your own or writing and directing things for people that you're now connected with through this work? Uh, on my own. Mm-hmm. On my own. Wow. Yeah. 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 How, how much of, uh, between you and your mentor, having, you know, some kind of, like, long-term-ish, like, illness in common, like, was that something that sort of, that like, sort of bound you guys? Is that maybe why you were able to find so much inspiration in him? Was there a connection on that level at all? Yeah, I actually... I, I only knew briefly, like growing up, that he had cancer because it said that on his Wikipedia page. Um, and then, you know, I think he, when I interviewed with him, I shared my story. And, you know, I think he kind of gave me a shot because usually you'd want someone with a little more experience than what I had had at that point. Um, but, you know, I think we kind of, to a certain degree, understood as much as we could, like kind of that type of life where you're, given a second chance, Mm -hmm. uh, so to speak. So that was something that I think we definitely connected on. Um, Yeah. Is there a thought that, I mean, obviously that that was months of your life when you were talking about being bedridden and you, I I mean, you're talking about the word brain tumor. So I assume that that means surgery and whatnot. There's no way I would think that that sort of a thing in a young person's life isn't going to affect them some way or another. Is there a, a perspective on your end about, maybe more specifically how that has affected your life and specifically like the work that you do and and the writing and that that you put out into the world. Absolutely. Um, I feel like I have a lot of these common themes that I continually go back to or want to read, like always keep looking into. I'm really like after that process, I became kind of obsessed with death and like my mortality. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's still something that I'm like kind of, grasping within projects that I'm writing right now. I'm actually writing like a semi-autobiographical feature based off of like my, my story. Um, and yeah, it's like, I kind of go after those questions of like, you know, what is the very large existential questions of what is the purpose of life? What is our individualistic purpose? Um, and I guess I like to, you know, tackle that, but also, kind of tackle you know the the questions about family and how you know there's no perfect family and i think that's fascinating also during this period of time 
so like my family moved a lot and at the time I went to uh I was live I was from I'm from New York but we moved to Philadelphia because my dad's job was out there and he was commuting between cities and it became too much so we eventually moved out there and um after a couple years my parents got divorced and we all moved back to New York and I really it's hard moving uh like high within high schools because like everyone has their cliques and all that for sure so after my sophomore year I kind of like conjured up a plan to live with a lot of families from my high school in Philadelphia. And so over a span of two years, I lived with probably around 10 to 14 families, whether it be long periods of time or short periods of time. Mm -hmm. And it was really fascinating kind of uh, experiencing like family dinners with all these different types of families and seeing how each family has their own routine and their own way of doing things. Um, That was really enlightening because, you know, you'd have one family that eats dinner with a TV on and they're kind of just casually eating together. And then there are other families who like each child would have to read an article from a newspaper and share it at dinner so that there could be like a meaningful, compelling conversation. Uh, so that was a really cool experience that also kind of got me interested in, you know, writing, uh, grounded family type stories. Um, and yeah, what really inspired Incendia was in that year I had lost my grandfather who was really the first person in my life like within my family that I had lost. So that was something that I was kind of like grappling with of like all the things that I wish I would have said, all the things that I, you know, the things that you can't take back or what you wish you would have done differently or added. Um, And so I guess Incendio is really a story about a woman, a young woman who is mourning the anniversary of her mother's death. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of, you know, she the way I wrote it is kind of vague, but I really worked on the character with the actress, Abby Hilden, who's phenomenal on screen and really elevates this script to a whole nother level. Um, and kind of just like working through someone who loses someone very dear to them, but then holding on to all this, not, not baggage, but all of these feelings and memories that, you know, you wish you could change or you wish you could make better. Uh, yeah. Well, I love that because that really um, clicks us into some of the little pieces of Incendio that we get started with right in the beginning. All the VHS tapes, et yeah. cetera. Mm-hmm. Rewatching of all these memories that show up in this character's life. Um, you guys want to go ahead and read the opening of the screenplay? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So, uh, listeners, if you're following along, we are actually starting at the top of page one. We're going to read pages one. To, uh, one and two to the top of three. This is going to give you a good taste of kind of what this screenplay feels like. There's a lot of action headings in the beginning, which are going to be read by Jack. Whoop. And then a short scene that are going to be read between me and Frank, where I'm going to play Amelie, our main character, and Frank's going to play my dad. Frank, did you have to work a lot to get into the right headspace to play Allison's dad here coming up? Is my mic on? <laughs> yes, it's on. <laughs> Do you have any lasting advice for me? We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, Neil, uh, just hang on for a second. We want to read your words, and then we'll be right back with you, okay? Great. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, let's uh, let's start this from the top of, uh, from the top. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Jack, whenever you're ready, take it away. VHS baptism footage over black. The religious chant from Amelie Hofstad's baptism plays fade in. Amelie's mother and father stand side by side. Amelie's mother hands her over to her father. Baby Amelie is lowered into the water. She cries, cut to black. Interior hallucination auditorium. 
Enter from stage right. The black heels of Amelie, 26 years old, click and clack to the center of a stage. Her feet stop upon a wooden chest. She opens the wooden chest, revealing a violin. Amelie picks up the violin, studies it, and continues to the chair that awaits for her. She sits. In front of the chair is a large white sheet that silhouettes her toward the audience. Judge one, in his 50s, a man with the stains of time on his face, and judge two, a kind-faced woman with strong eyes, walks into the auditorium, leaving a trail of echoes behind them. They sit at the back of the auditorium. Amelie looks to her right. There is now a woman with a violin seated next to her, dressed in black. In the ready position, she waits for Amelie to begin. The two share a beat and begin to play. The spotlighted silhouette, however, reveals only one shadow to the audience. Cue, Incendio, composed by Tess Gerritsen. The concerto lingers between the two violinists. Their bows match every movement. The judges listen intently as the intensity of the music increases. The violins begin to crescendo. Suddenly, a string snaps. Cut sound. Interior, Amelie's bathroom, day. In a bath, Amelie's head slowly rises from underwater. With a razor blade, she shaves her leg, she nicks herself, and the blood drips into the water. She doesn't stop it. Exterior, Amelie's house, afternoon. Amelie exits her townhouse. Interior, Amelie's car, afternoon. As Amelie drives, her phone rings. The caller ID is titled, Dad, with a circular picture of him. Hi, Amelie. Hey, Dad. I haven't heard from you in a while. How are you? I'm fine. Just been busy with work lately. That's good to hear. Being busy is a blessing. Have you been finding time for your appointments? Dad, can we not talk about this right now? Honey, isn't it time we let go of the past? Amelie does not respond. The silence simmers. You should take some time off and fly out for the weekend. I'm sorry, Dad. I can't. All right. Well, I miss you. It'd be nice to see you. I have to go. Bye, Dad. And scene. So that is a very, very brief taste. Uh, Neil, back on the line here with us. That's a that's a very brief taste of how this starts. Neil, I just I wanted to ask a question coming right out of that reading. Uh, with mm-hmm. with with the line that her dad has about how being busy is a blessing. That's a real specific thing for a dad to say to a daughter. And I'm just sort of curious if that's maybe something that some sort of relative or parental figure maybe said to you. I'm I'm very curious about where that line specifically came from for you. Oh, yeah, that's definitely something that my father would tell me. <laughs> um, if I would ever, growing up, if I would ever complain about just having too much work or stuff like that, he would always say it's such a blessing, isn't it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the the problems we have are all, in in a way, I feel like a blessing. Um, yeah, and that's that's something that I've definitely uh, held on to for a while. This screenplay feels very metaphorical yeah. in a lot of ways. There's all this VHS footage that's intercut between different scenes during the screenplay itself. And then kind of mm-hmm. these um, figmented fragments. It's not fragments. It's not even figments. That's, you know, it sounds delicious, figs, but. Go on. <laughs> uh, all these pieces of like uh, that are made up, you know, this whole she's she's conjuring her mother in her life with her in some points. They end up eating mm-hmm. some cake together, which really isn't them eating cake together. It's her eating cake, mourning her mother. There's this this whole distortion between what is real and what is fantasy and what is memory in this screenplay that's really fun 
to read and piece through. And and and, and how those memories of her mother are driving her in the work yeah. that she's doing. So she's a violinist, and so a- after she has that conversation with her dad, she goes to this like little deli slash diner, and she's waiting for her pickup order, and she's sitting next to these two women that are just sort of casually talking. And the one woman is talking about how she's got an audition coming up, presumably at the same... Uh, theater or symphony or whatever that maybe Amelie is working for also. And, like, Amelie's hearing all this and she perks up and she gets the woman's name and ultimately ends up, like, slashing the woman's tire. Yep. Uh, I'm just the, Neil, is it weird for me to say that I sort of got a bit, uh, just a little bit, of a Black Swan vibe from this script? Is that Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, that absolutely played, uh, like, an inspirational factor for this short because um, I love that genre, and I yeah, so definitely. <laughs> I also before I wrote this short story that inspired partly inspired this, I watched Nocturnal Animals, and that gave me I had such a visceral reaction to that film, um, and I really really enjoyed the tone of it. And I guess I was kind of trying to pull from those that the tone of Black Swan and Nocturnal Animals. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, so this story in general, the, the, this woman who's a violinist and she's struggling with the loss of her mother and, and, and this, you know, working toward on a career level and she's very focused on her work. Uh, you said this was based on a short story you wrote. I, I'm so curious to know what the inspiration for all this was. I mean, you're telling us, do you play violin? Where is this uh, coming from for you? So it's interesting. And like, you know, as I told you guys, we did a lot of rewriting in this process. Um but where the story like originally came from was a place where it's about a woman mourning the death of her mother and she holds a lot of regret. Um, and so Amelie's character, the way I originally wrote it was that she actually didn't know how to play the violin. And she, after her mother died, felt a lot of regret because she felt like she could have connected with her mother on a deeper level oh, right, right, if right. she had played the violin. Um, and, you know, I wrote a backstory for each character and like from the mother's perspective, she always wanted her daughter to be her own person and find what like for her violin was her life. And she loved it so much, but she always wanted her daughter Amelie to, to find what makes her tick, not just to copy her and to kind of, you know, live a, a, a life that's individually chosen by her, you know? Um, and so that's kind of like where I gave Emily's character this reason for regret. Um, because she but, didn't pick this up from her mother when her mother was living. Yes. Okay, this yes. actually makes a lot of sense to me because there's so much distortion between what is real and what is memory yeah. and what is fantasy here. That Mm -hmm. I thought I was reading something that I think I was right about. But basically we have Amelie who's mourning her mother. She goes to pick up this violin, hence all the imagery of her opening a chest and pulling the violin out. She does go to an actual audition that she slashes somebody's tires or (laughs) to get the audition in. But when she – at the very end when she goes, which we don't know – to audition, she plays the bow across the strings, and it's just screeching. She can't play. Yeah, in real okay, life, she yeah. can't play at all. In all her dreams, yeah. she's dreaming of doing this with her mother, and you know, she's dreaming of living out these things that she wishes maybe she could have done with her mother. Which ties all the way back to you talking about your grandpa and the things that you wish you could have said and the things you wish yeah. you would have done, etc. 
Yeah, and like where that kind of stem one from stems from is like growing up. I so I come from uh, ethnically, I'm Indian, along with some other things that I'm still trying to figure out. But I kind of felt like almost shame towards that growing up, and so I guess for me, the, the regret that I've been working on is like wishing that I had fully welcomed uh, kind of my culture growing up more so than I had. Um, and it's something that I'm currently still working on. And it's kind of like it's seeping into my into my feature of like, you know, coming into acceptance with certain things and like, you know, yeah. So that's kind of where, where I can, I, I guess this all stems from. What about uh, the the song itself, Incendio, or also... Uh, the violins, how did that all, the orchestral stuff, how did that really, you know, place itself into your mind and then show up in this screenplay? Yeah, so I was actually, I went to the LA Phil with a friend um, who is a composer. And when we were there, he kind of told me the process of auditioning to be in the LA Phil. Um, and when he told it to me, it just blew my mind. It's, it's a blind, it's a blind audition. So you don't know what the person looks like when they're auditioning. Um, and that image really, uh, stuck out to me. And so part of this was also like, I, I've always wanted to do, uh, a film just about like, and uh, a musician. Cause I, I, I've played the drums since I was four years old. Music is a really big part of my life. Um, and so the image of blind auditions, uh, really struck with me, uh, stuck with me. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where that came from. And the song itself, the song itself, I actually reached out to an author, um, of a novel by the the same name. Yes. Tess Gerritsen. Um, and I reached out and said, like, I listened to your song and it's partially inspired, a short story that I'm looking to uh, make, may I use this for the film? And she was very kind and said, yes, of course. Cool. Um, yeah, and it cost nothing, and she was really, really uh, amazing kind of offering. And she wrote a novel and wrote Incendio, composed it for her novel, uh, which is definitely something that, uh, if you read this, you should definitely read that, because a, it's a great novel, and the song is so rich. Uh, mm. She's so talented. Uh, creatively, what's that like for you as someone who's maybe more used to working with words and creating stories with structure and, you know, beginning, middles and ends and all that stuff, and then hearing a piece of music, presumably that doesn't have any lyrics or anything, it's just orchestral music, a violin piece that inspires you to, 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 to figure it into your story. That's That's connecting two different things, I feel like. Yeah, I... I feel like, you know, that just the way the song made me feel, like I kind of tried to translate how the song made me feel into a story almost. Yeah. Because um, part of this was also I just wanted to continue to make stuff to get better. And like with this screenplay, I have learned so much. One thing that I that I rewrote and reshot was actually kind of like the climax of instead of Amelie's character slashing this person's tire – she actually like follows her home and kills her. Oh wow! Because um, we wanted to increase the stakes and really show that this person has gone unhinged, um, and so that's something that we changed. That's kind of dramatic. Um, 
but yeah, like everything that came about with this story was very like, I, you know, when I was, so Abby, the, the lead actress is also my girlfriend. So I was with her and she showed me like a small segment of a VHS tape from her uh, childhood. And I was like, oh my goodness, what if like we wrote a short film and we were able to use this footage to like, you know, add some depth to it. And I thought that was a really cool idea to play with different type, like VHS footage along with like shooting in 4k. I think that could be a cool juxtaposition. Um, so it kind of came from like, you know, trying to piece together the story through what was available to us. And I stumbled upon this song during all of this process. And I wrote the entire script and story with pretty much the song on repeat. Wow. Um, when I like a song, I, I tend to be able to just obsess and, and play it over and over again without getting sick of it. And so I really try to, um, I guess, translate the tone of the song into the story. Do you know, it's interesting because you guys talked about how you changed it so she was a bit more unhinged. And an unhinged Amelie is different than the Amelie that we have in the screenplay itself, which is basically a woman grieving just, yeah. you know, substantive amounts of loss. What do you mm-hmm. what do you think the main themes of the final product are as opposed to what might be themes in the screenplay itself? In the final product, I would say some of the themes are kind of similar to the screenplay in terms of mourning mourning law, like mourning and loss and regret. Um, but I think where we also took it in and I, I hinted at it in the script, but I wish I I gave more context to it was kind of like her mental state Mm -hmm. um i think we i I, in the script i was able to touch upon it but i I wish i went more in depth with it um where amelie kind of has a a back a background of depression and and mental illness so um you know that's a touchy topic because like it's hard to write about illnesses and stuff like that if you don't have them yourself. But mm-hmm. I, I do have a lot of people in my life that uh, suffer with mental illness. So I try to like pull from the real people that I know slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we definitely lean into that in the short itself. And where are you guys in production or oh, post-production yeah. right now? So the film is uh, – the picture is locked. The film is colored. Um, so now we are – finishing up on the sound design and the score is also being wrapped up and it's actually probably going to be wrapped up at the end of this week it's been about a full year process Mm -hmm. which is huge Um, sound design and i mean this that's a major major part of this story absolutely and it it, every aspect of like the physical filmmaking elevates the film so much like just seeing from the raw footage get colored Mm mm-hmm that in itself brings such a powerful contribution to the film. Uh, and it's like something that I didn't really think about much going into this process. This was only the second short film that I've written and made. And with each, with each process, you learn so much. It's, it feels like I'm just going to film school every time I make something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, with the script, I think something that I'm working on now is like in my scripts having – instead of the plot always driving everything, having the characters drive more uh, and making sure, like, right. I'm reading so many books on screenwriting right now at this current moment. And one, and I just love 
learning how amazing screenplays are come to fruition and you kind of learn about how each film has such a process and each writer has such a process and so it's fun being on this journey of finding my own process yeah and, and so, with, with with this one it was kind of chaotic i guess in the way it all came about I, i'm really curious to know where you're at you know maybe emotionally as far as you know, you've got this. You, you've written this story, and you know, there are elements of it that were framed by the loss of your grandfather, and then you know the the role that the song plays in helping craft things, and then going through the actual collaborative process of producing this thing, and now you're looking to get it out in the world. I feel like that's a lot of different things to experience and process in the process of making this film. I'm I'm curious where you're at in emotionally in the story that you've been wanting to tell that you that you wanted to get out there. Yeah. Honestly, it's been very therapeutic. Uh, making the story was very therapeutic. Um, and I feel, I feel really grateful that like, you know, I, I have fallen in love with a craft where you can almost use it as therapy, kind of like comedians and how they, you know, the best materials sometimes from, you know, the darkest parts of their life. Sure. Um, I, I kind of feel like that same relationship with filmmaking. Um, and yeah, it's just, it feels like a relief, honestly, Mm -hmm. to, to put everything on the page and then to get it all done from start to finish. And I'm a little, I'm very actually nervous for putting this out into the world. That's something I'm very, I'm grappling with still is kind of. You know, I, I think when you set out to make a film, everyone wants to make the best version of the film and, you know, a masterpiece. And, you know, it's a humbling process. It's kind of like surfing in that way. When you're out and you're kind of like trying to go out past the break, sometimes it'll take 30 minutes because of how aggressive the waves are. And, mm. you know, with filmmaking, it feels similar where, you know, a lot of the time you are working around so many different schedules and, uh, it can just, you know, if you want to get it done within three months and then it happens to be a year, which is kind of what happened with this film, it's it's a process. But it feels great to collaborate with amazing people with great attitudes and great passion. Um, so I'm very excited and very relieved to have gotten it to this point. And I'm hoping that uh, some people can connect with it and feel um, – like it's a, a compelling story that kind of keeps them questioning it. Yeah. Well, if there is someone who's looking to connect with you, what's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you? Probably my Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my full name, N-E-I-L-D-U-A. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best way to connect with me. Okay, great. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, and opening up about all the stuff, sending in your work. We, we, we yeah. really do appreciate it. That's awesome, Neil. It was really good talking to you. Thank you. Likewise, I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on here. Uh, it really means a lot. Good luck with uh, finishing up the work and and you know taking it maybe on the uh, the festival circuit or you know trying to get distribution or whatever. That's a, that's amazing. Congratulations and good luck. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that's Neil. Life is not tried. It's just oh, merely boy. survived. If you're standing outside the fire. Frank is just in a in a in a flop sweat now with all the. Uh, I wish he would frantically go back through all the episodes we recorded when he wasn't here and, and just take a tally it of yeah. everything that Frank, we have. Frank, it's it's basically mm-hmm. been a karaoke fest here since it's you've wonderful. been gone. That's our new. That's our new. 
podcast is yeah. us doing karaoke. It's karaoke fest. Script Ugh. shop karaoke. Oh. Uh, boy, Neil brought a lot to the table in that uh, with that with that script yes. and, and his feelings and, and processing through all that and incorporating uh, maybe what necessarily isn't at the root of the story itself, but taking this thing and saying. I want to work this into my story. Yeah. I think that's very cool. Being influenced by inspirations in his life. Yeah. You know, that that's this is like a, a brand new story that's pretty much born out of stuff that's separate than what's going on in his life, but wholly influenced by a lot of different things. It's a clever, clever story with a lot of interesting notes in it. So listeners, you should definitely check it out um, online. Read that screenplay. And if you've uh, written something yourself, if you've got a story that uh, is personally influenced by various things, you should write it into script form, and you can send it to us by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit, or we are taking your submissions once again on filmfreeway.com. And don't forget to find us, friend us, and follow us, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and send your rinks and runks down the rink and runk path on patreon.com. Folks, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. It's the new year, and we're still continuing to make the show and put the show out there, and we're trying to grow it. If you could tell a friend or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or anything like that to help get the word out. We would uh, we would be so appreciative of that. Uh, you guys are wonderful, and we love doing the show, and we hope you enjoy it too. And until next week, friends, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.